morning, guys. So during this series, we've been talking a few words that largely only get used by people inside of the church. And we want to spend some time just um, stopping and asking the question, what does that mean? Um, to make sure that we all kind of understand these words that we're using, but also how we practice them here at Everyday Church. But before um, we talk about our specific word today, our specific churchy word, um, I, I want us all to feel what it's like to hear somebody talk in the same language that we speak, but use words that we might know and still um, don't really understand how they're being used. Um, so in order to do that, I've asked my youngest teenage daughter, uh, Clara, to come, come up. And what she's going to do is um, she's going to kind of explain to us a, a few um, phrases that she might use with her sisters or her teenage friends um, that you would go, what does that mean? Um, words that you know, but you still are kind of like how they're being used, not understand. So um, the first phrase is, what's the tea? Like tea that you drink. What's the tea? So what does that mean? Um, what's the tea is like not tea at all. Like it's not what you drink. It's like the drama or the gossip. So you'd be like, ooh, tell me the tea or like spill the tea. And that's like, give me all the recent drama. Um, like one of my friends is always like, just sipping my tea. And he's like, I'm just listening to all this drama and like loving it. So that's what that means. So I want to say we don't encourage people to be gossips in any way. I'm just helping you understand the lingo. Okay, so the second phrase is um, in your bag. So somebody is in, she's in her bag, or you're in your bag. Okay. That's like you're in your emotions, um, or it can just be like you're very emotional, or like sometimes it's like you're just listening to really sad music, and you're just like feeling it. That's usually what it is for me. Um, one of my friends is in her Spanish bag sometimes, which is like very different than in her regular bag. Yeah. Yeah, so I've got three teenage daughters, so there's a lot of being in your bag at our house. All right, so the very last phrase is, I ship it, or we ship it. Okay. So that's like when you see two people and you're like, I see them together, I see them as a couple. Um, and then there's like ship names, which is like when you combine their names. So like Kate and Addison would be like Caddison. That's, that's their ship name and we see them together. I mean, they are together, but yeah. yeah. We, we ship it. Yes. Right, okay. All right, thank you very much, Clara. Makes it a lot clearer. All right, so um, now, just because you know how to use those phrases, like a teenager would, that in no way gives you permission to do that with a teenager if you're like over 25. If you do, then they're probably gonna laugh at you or roll their eyes or just say, don't do that, all right? <laughs> Trust me, I know this. I know this in practice. So um, the word that we're gonna focus on this morning is a word uh, that we use quite a bit in the church and as Christians, it's the word disciple. So as Christians, we talk about being disciples of Jesus. But what does that mean? So the Greek word that gets translated in English as disciple is the word mathetes, which means learner. So to be a disciple of Jesus means to learn to be like Jesus and to live like Jesus would live. So Larry and I's favorite 
professor in college where we met, uh, my husband and I, we went to school to be pastors, and so we took classes um, in scripture and to learn about scripture and lots of different classes, but our favorite, pastor, our favorite professor was a man named Dr. Sherwood Smith. And um, just a sweet, sweet man. Uh, and one of the things that he would do was to assign us to memorize certain passages in the Bible, especially um, where we were learning. And so one of those passages is super important to me um, because it um, is just a passage that I return to over and over again. It's been a long time since I was in college and first memorized this passage. But I, I know he picked it for a very specific purpose and because it is a very important verse. And I think the verse speaks a lot about, this passage speaks a lot about what it means to be a disciple and what it looks like. So uh, the passage comes from Matthew uh, chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. And Jesus is speaking to a crowd and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So I think we all can admit that we all feel tired and burdened from life. And here Jesus is inviting us to walk with him and to learn from him. And that word that Jesus uses here that is translated as learn is that same Greek word that we use as disciple. So here Jesus is inviting all to come and to be his disciple and to walk with him. It's what he's inviting us to do as well. And so for the people who would listen to um, Jesus say that, they would immediately think of the imagery of a yoke, of a two animals that are yoked together, um, that they are have a wooden piece to keep them connected so they, they would walk and work together at the same pace and that they would share the burden of their load together. And that's what uh, Jesus is asking us to imagine, that he wants to walk at the same pace with us and to share the burden of our life with him and that while we do that, we're going to learn from him. And we're going to actually become more like Jesus by doing that. And Jesus' Jewish audience that he was speaking to when he first said this phrase would have immediately imagined the animals, of course. But also, which we don't, right? When we think of yolk, we think of the yolk of an egg. We don't think of this. But that is what they would have imagined. Also, at this time, yolk meant to them, um, it would have been used as this idea of being in service to something, some power, or to somebody. And uh, for instance, at this time, it would be very common to say they were under the yoke of the Roman government. So that was a, a heavy burden to be, for the Jewish people at this time, to be yoked to the Roman government. It was a heavy burden. There's also uh, Jewish writings at this time where they find, um, we, where we can find it's, saying, Jewish people saying that they are under the yoke of the Talmud or the Jewish law. So this idea that there's all these practices that they have to keep, all these laws that they have to keep. And we see by Jesus's time, that's a heavy load. It's a heavy burden to carry. And so Jesus is saying 
his yoke is different. That when he walks along with us, he actually lightens our load. That the burden is actually lightened. And it gives us an understanding of who Jesus is as we walk along, that he's inviting us to walk along with him. And so that concept of being a disciple or a learner of a specific teacher was a practice that was very common at this time. Certainly for the Greek and Roman people, um, they had philosophers and teachers of the time who had disciples or learners who would follow this specific teacher and, and try to learn all they could from that philosopher or teacher. But also the Jewish people had generations of rabbis. Rabbis who were just, it's another word for teacher. And as a rabbi, a Jewish uh, leader would invite men, a few men, to follow them and be a disciple where they are to learn everything that that rabbi could teach them. And they would share, actually share their life with them. They would, when you were invited to be a disciple, you were invited to come and live with me, come and share my life. And not only was the rabbi transferring his, all of his knowledge, but he was also just sharing the way he lived and transferring um, his values and how to teach somebody else all the values that he was teaching that disciple that that was part of the process so that that disciple would someday become a rabbi and pick other disciples to teach this way of living and what's really important for us to understand this morning is that the goal of a rabbi to teach his disciple was never just to transfer knowledge the goal was to form a certain type of person and because of this intense nature of, um, and focus that it took to make a disciple at this time, a rabbi would only invite a few. A few people would be invited to be his disciple. And so as we read through the Gospels, the New Testament books of the Bible that are written by eyewitnesses about Jesus' life, we see the same practice with Jesus with the followers that follow Jesus, that he invites them to come and follow him, and they share their life with him. Certainly, they learn um, information. Jesus is constantly teaching them, and we see that he teaches in a way that's different than other rabbis at the time, so much so that people are talking, that crowds start to form because people say, this man teaches like nobody else teaches. But there was something else about how he lived and so the disciples and the followers of Jesus would see a man who lived differently than the other rabbis of the time. How he treated people was different. How he treated uh, people on the margins, how he treated the sick and the sinful and women and children and the poor. It was different. And so by sharing their life with Jesus for years, they not only started to think differently, they started to act differently. And they started to act more and more like Jesus. To the point where after three and a half years, they're spending all this time with Jesus. Jesus says, okay, now you're ready. And I'm sure they were like, no, 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 we're not ready. You know, Jesus' death and resurrection. And then he knows that his time is, it's time for him to leave. And he's going to go back into heaven and ascend into heaven. And that they had a job to do and that they were ready for that job. And I imagine they didn't think they were ready that they wanted Jesus beside them. Who doesn't want Jesus beside them, right? We all think that would be wonderful, but Jesus knew that they were ready, and so he gathers 
um, the 11 apostles at that time, because Jesus has died, and he, they um, come to Galilee, and in Matthew um, chapter 28, they come to the mountain, and they gather around Jesus, and they worship him, and then Jesus gives them their last instructions. He knows that he's about ready to leave, and so he's giving them the last instructions on how um, their, their job, really, what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to live. And so this is what he says to them. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the job wasn't just to tell people about Jesus, to proclaim the good news uh, that we've been talking about the last two weeks when we've been talking about evangelism or the good news. Certainly that's part of the job, but that isn't the only job. He tells them that the job is to make disciples of Jesus, to make followers of Jesus who choose to be baptized and who choose to constantly learn to be more and more like Jesus. And there, that invitation that Jesus gives where he says, come and follow me, it's an invitation for all, not just a few people. It's for all of us and all people everywhere for all times. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So how do we become disciples if we can't literally walk right beside Jesus? And I'm, I imagine that's the question that those first disciples standing there watching Jesus go back into heaven. Wait, 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 how do we do that? You know, he says, go make disciples. And they're like, wait, you didn't give us the exact list of how we're supposed to do it, right? Like a booklet would have been helpful, right? What's interesting is if you Googled how to make disciples, you will come up with all of these church leaders who have the booklet for you, right? This is the exact way to do it for all people of all times. Um, lots of different ways. Writing, sim you know, there's, we've, I've seen a lot of them. A lot of them really great. Uh, sometimes a lot of them focus on just information, this information that they have to know or giving people a list of do's and don'ts. But that's not what Jesus does when he um, leaves his disciples. He tells them that he's going to give them the Holy Spirit. He says, wait for this gift of the Holy Spirit, the spirit that we can have living inside of us that helps us, convicts us, teaches us, talks to us, speaks to us, um, shows us where to go. He says, wait for that. And we see that that comes um, just quickly at Pentecost and just in Acts chapter 2, we see that happen. But he also says, I will be with you always. That's the last thing he says to them. Remember, I will be with you always. But he says, go, go do it, you're ready. So I imagine they had to think, okay, how did, how did it happen for us? And think back and remember that they became disciples, they learned to be more like Jesus through their relationship with him, through living in this community that they did, they, they lived as a community that with unique 
practices and values of the kingdom of God. That was part of what Jesus was doing. He, he invited lots of people to come, and he wanted them to look differently as a community. How they shared life with one another was supposed to be different, like the values and practices of this kingdom of God that he was talking about and that we talk about so often. And so that is how they became disciples, and that's how they continued on the process that they were constantly focusing people to have a relationship with Jesus, to be invited into community that lived uniquely, and to continue the teachings of Jesus. And what's interesting is um, when you look at how Jesus is trying to form this community, you see some interesting stories, um, ways where you can see they didn't quite get it. Uh, they, you know, after years of spending time with Jesus, they still ask questions, and Jesus was like, yeah, you're not quite getting it. So there's this funny story um, in several of the Gospels mentioned this story in different ways, uh, different amounts of information. So two of his um, trusted disciples, you know, really high-level followers, James and John, um, come to him in front of all the other guys, too, and they're like, Jesus, grant us to sit at one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. That word that we talked about this morning. Uh, we kind of, we want some of that too. Can we be second in command? And, you know, like maybe if we ask first, we can get it above all the other guys. And uh, I, I just imagine that Jesus kind of shook his head and, um, and he corrects them. And he says this in Mark chapter 10. He says, he calls them to himself, and he says, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. So these rulers, maybe the Roman government, different um, rulers of the time, that they ruled over the people with power. Um, he says in verse 43, But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not, and that's he speaking of himself there, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, you know, I'm sure they were humbled and realized that things are different here. This community works differently. And I think we all struggle to keep that community going um, today in churches you see where um, some struggle to get this message. Another time Jesus is with his disciples and he's spending time and people keep bringing their children to him and so the followers are like they're thinking of the productive stuff to get done and, and at this time children you know they didn't have a lot of value they were kind of um, the adults that's when you became valuable as you know a person children were not valued and he corrects them and says no in the kingdom of God bring the children to me because they are important they are of great worth and this morning as I, I was practicing this message I got stuck here because I think uh, I just need to say <clears throat> that it isn't just saying that Jesus valued children that as believers in Jesus, we need to value children too. And um, 
There are a lot of children who are not valued in our country. And it also, Jesus doesn't care if they're American or not. That he values children of every place. And he calls us to do the same. So. Um, <laughs> so the disciples, they learned from the community. And they also learned from Jesus' teaching. He taught about money, he taught about forgiveness, he taught about grace, he taught about the values of the kingdom of God. Hours and hours that his disciples heard him teach. He not only prayed with them, but he said, pray like this. And then he prayed the Lord's Prayer that we still learn from today. So that's how the disciples learned to be like Jesus and how they taught others to learn to be like Jesus, by introducing them to a relationship with Jesus, by inviting them into this community with the unique values of the kingdom of God, and by continuing to teach Jesus' teachings. That's the plan. And they didn't have buildings, and they didn't have big budgets, and they didn't have professionally trained leaders about the Bible or public speaking. And yet, within the next 250 years, 120 disciples that we see at Pentecost multiply to make disciples of 50% of the Roman Empire, which is estimated about 30 million followers of Jesus, just with that plan. That's what it took. So how do we make disciples here at Everyday Church? Well, first of all, it's important for us to say and acknowledge it's a process. It's not something that we can have a set time to make disciples, that all of us are in the process of doing it. All of us are on the journey to be more like Jesus. I am a disciple of Jesus. I chose to be a disciple of Jesus 30 years ago probably at this point. But I am still constantly striving to be more and more like him. I am not there. I have a lot of work to do. I still can be like James and John, who after years still don't quite have Jesus' heart and don't quite get it right. And so at Everyday Church, we admit that we're all in the process. We're all on the journey. We haven't yet arrived. And we believe that no matter where you are in that journey, you matter here. Nobody matters above another. If you're farther along in the process, you don't matter more. It's wherever you are in the journey, you matter. You matter to us. And we give you permission to belong to this community and to learn from Jesus, even if you don't believe everything that this church holds as our beliefs. Because we see that happening with Jesus, that people followed him around before they believed everything he said or even believed who he said he was. We believe that it isn't our job to say how long that process will be or exactly where the journey will take you. That's God's job. Our job is to walk slowly at your pace that God is setting, along patiently walking alongside of you. Now, the value in American culture, we have a value of efficiency, which is really great for um, producing goods. It has helped us over the years. Um, you know, this idea of the least amount of time and work to produce something over and over again and quality reviews and all of that. But we have kind of put that into the American church, I think. 
and they come up with the most efficient way to make disciples. And I think um, it's hurt us in some ways that we haven't been able to be patient and walk at the pace for everybody and decide that it's God's job to decide where that journey goes and how long it takes. But being a disciple is about being a learner. So at Everyday Church, we really tried to teach. We tried to teach the whole Bible because we believe that the whole Bible is a story about how Jesus wants to be in relationship with us and how he wants us to be in relationship with one another. And so that whole story is important for us to teach. That's why we, we try to talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament and these um, prophets that sometimes don't get talked about very much because we think that whole story is important and something that we need to learn from. But every week we talk about Jesus because what we're here to do is learn to be more and more like Jesus. But we also um, teach about other things that maybe um, isn't just from the Bible, things that can help us be better at loving people like Jesus did. And so we talk about emotionally healthy skills class that we offer every fall, and we want everybody who's a part of our church to take that class at least once because we believe that um, how we do relationship with one another really matters, and it, it shows how much we live and love like Jesus. And so these skills really help us to love each other and to love others. It's why we offer classes on finances, because knowledge about finances help us to love people like Jesus. It's why we have had a multi-ethnic conversations class, because we come from so many different racial backgrounds, and it's important for us to learn to listen to one another and to learn from one another, and that is going to help us to be more like Jesus. And it's why we constantly are talking about becoming better neighbors in this community and why we've partnered with other churches in this community because we know we need to put ourselves in the position of learner. When you're a disciple, you're a learner. And you put yourself in that position to be more like Jesus. We also believe that disciples are made in relationships with Jesus and in relationship with community. And that's why we say that our mission here at Everyday Church is to pursue life-changing relationships with Jesus and the family of God. I hope you go home knowing what a disciple means. This is what I also want you to know. If somebody asks you, what is your church like? What are they all about? We're all about pursuing life-changing relationships with Jesus and the family of God. We're all trying to have deeper relationships with one another and with Jesus so that our lives are changed. Not just so that we have these relationships. It doesn't, or not just to learn stuff. It's about changing our lives and changing other people's lives as well. And so that's why we spend so much time together because we need to learn from each other. That's why we eat meals together, why we go camping together, why we celebrate together, and why we also mourn together. We believe that by doing this, it's going to help us be more like Jesus. And also, last, the last couple weeks we've talked about when we are talking to other people, inviting them into our community, they're going to learn how to be like Jesus too, because they're just going to hopefully watch how we treat one another, how we love one another, and see Jesus in that. So how, how do we pray for each other? 
How do we do conflict and forgiveness? How do we spend our money? How do we serve people? How do we go through struggles? How do we handle doubt? Because we all do handle doubt. We admit it. How do we show people dignity and respect? How do we love and value children? Hopefully, when we invite people into our community, just sharing life with them, they will see how to be a little bit more like Jesus. So I just want to give you a few illustrations of um, just small stories of how I've seen this over the last couple of weeks in this church. So the kids' class uh, today are learning about how to apologize. So any of your parents, yes. <laughs> we all appreciate that. It's a skill that maybe isn't taught in school, some maybe, but it, um, it's, it's a really important part of our community. And so the kids are learning, the little kids are just learning to say, I'm sorry. The older kids are learning that a good apology has four parts. So just so you know, a good apology has four parts. The first um, part of an apology is to say, I'm sorry for something specific. So you're recognizing exactly what, it's not good enough to just say, I'm sorry. What, what did you do that was wrong? The second part is to say um, it, why it was wrong. The third part of the apology is to say how you plan to do it differently in the future. And the fourth part of an apology is to ask for forgiveness. So those are really great, really good information, right? Really good information for a kid to learn, for us to learn. But it's more than just information. The kids are practicing together, apologizing, but they're also being raised in this community where they see us apologize to one another, where they see adults apologizing to them that they deserve an apology. Sometimes we need to give that to them, where they're encouraged to apologize to one another. So that is where they're learning information and learning to be more like Jesus from being a part of the community. And I see that here as adults as well. A couple weeks ago, um, a member of our church who serves on a team in, um, during Sunday morning on a team uh, apologized to the team because they were late. And just honestly said, I hurt you guys by doing that just gave a sincere, honest apology. And what they received was a sincere, honest forgiveness. And that is something that we talk about a lot here. Every Sunday we talk about forgiveness and grace because it is essential to Christianity, that we don't earn our place with Jesus, that it is given to us. It is undeserved. And so we don't just talk about it. We extend grace to one another. It's an important part of who we are. I believe that people in this church family truly are becoming more like Jesus by just being a part of this community. And over time, I have seen that happen in so many of your lives. You look more and more like Jesus to me. And I know that I am being changed by this community. <clears throat> this community that is messy, and it's hard, and it's beautiful. And it's where I want to be, and it's who I want to do my life with. And we invite everyone to join us. Today is Father's Day, and for some of um, us, fathers are, can be a good example of how God patiently walks with us. Um, when I was reading over that passage that I memorized, that I read, that come to me, it gives me the vision of a father walking with their small child, like a toddler, 
who like has to really carefully walk, walks really slow. If you walk with a toddler who's like someplace, you're like, come on, we're gonna make it, come on. And it just, um, the patience it takes, it made me imagine Jesus being like that, that great image. And some fathers give us that, and some fathers um, maybe show us what we are missing in that relationship with Jesus. And um, I have a father who is really, really likes to go on walks. So um, he, we've gone on a lot of hikes. Um, maybe as a kid I didn't want to go on as many as I did, but now I love them and appreciate them. And actually in a, a couple of weeks, my whole family were going on a hike together with my dad because he's finishing up this 15-year goal of doing a Buckeye Trail, which is like thousands and thousands of miles of hikes. So we're doing it together. Um, but when I look back on those walks with my dad, I, I don't remember any of them being done in a hurry. That isn't really my dad. He doesn't do things in a hurry. But um, also just these hikes, he just would walk slowly, really giving me the idea that my presence was what was important, not the destination. I think that's an image of God, too. He also, um, on these walks, would just teach me so much about, like, trees. I know how to tell different trees and plants. I learned that all from my dad. Uh, soil, maybe that isn't as handy for me personally, but um, my dad's a soil scientist, so he taught me a lot about that. Um, but he also talked about parenting and life and his relationship with God. And I remember as a kid, it was really clear he was the one that was leading, right? And I was learning from him. But now when we go on walks, we kind of take turns, right? We're learning from each other. Sometimes I lead, sometimes he does. I think that's a really good image as well of discipling for us with one another. That sometimes there's, it's clear who's ahead maybe in the journey and they need to teach. But what really happens is when we walk alongside each other that we're actually learning from one another and we're taking turns and uh, that we're discipling each other. So those walks were really important for me with my dad um, and I think that is the gift that we give one another when we say I'm gonna walk alongside you I don't know where we're going and I can walk at your pace that's the gift we give to one another discipling and sharing in community with one another and um, my dad is great but he is just a speck of the perfection of Jesus and Jesus invited all of us no matter what relationship you have with your father, Jesus invites you to walk alongside you and to be at your pace. He is happy to be there and to teach us all what he wants us to learn. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he also said, and surely I am with you even till the end of the age. Let's pray.